if somebody came to me like yourself, you said, hey, I want to go pro, even though I'm starting a business and I'm talking to people four hours a day, blah, 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 blah. I'd say, you're crazy. You know, find, find another coach and adjust your life expectations a little bit, you know, because it's, it's hard to do, you know? Oh, man. Shane, will you be my life coach? I'm sure. <laughs> I probably do more life coaching than I do cycling coaching some days. So well, you know. I was, I was going to mention that, right? Because you've, you've laid out the first few chapters of this book and we haven't really even gotten to turning the pedals, right? And it's yeah. everything to do with how do you set up your life to even be successful at turning the pedals? I think most people fail too, because they set themselves up as training and losing weight and getting faster. And they do that first and foremost. They don't focus on what actually it takes to get to that point. So they, they skim over chapter one through six and they just read chapter seven because that's where all the, the, the juicy stuff comes in at chapter seven, where it might be. Mm. Hey everyone, I'm Dennis Cutrow, co-founder and CEO of Beretta Training. And in this episode of The Training Book, we're going to be interviewing head coach of GC Coaching, Shane Gaffney. Similar to our last guest, Shane has really advanced training knowledge, but works with a lot of beginner and intermediate athletes with full-time jobs and families. And in this episode, Shane lays out what he thinks the first few chapters of our eventual training book should be. And the crazy thing is we never actually end up discussing anything about structured training. Like you heard in the intro, Shane thinks that way too many athletes dive straight into intervals and training metrics before ever stopping to consider the why and the how of their training. There's a lot of other things that need to be put in place in order for an athlete to be successful in their training. And it's all a part of GC Coaching's holistic approach to training athletes. I had a lot of fun talking to Shane. So we'll jump right into this episode with him telling us a little bit about himself and his background. So I worked in uh, Salem, Massachusetts for about three years. Um, I opened up what's called P2. So P2 is a pure power, his name of it. So it's a um, three-phase, eight-week program that I ran all indoors at the gym in Salem through mm -hmm. copy trainers, things like that. Um, I started doing that about six years ago now. Um, that went really well for about three years. And then I think we spoke last time the gym owners didn't want to reinvest in Wahoo kickers and I saw the market changing and they were like, yeah, well, we're just going to keep with our copy trainers. And then unfortunately another uh, studio opened next town over, they had Wahoo kickers, they used Zwift and all my, all of their clientele went that way and not for me. Um, after that, I kind of cut ties with them and then I opened GC coaching three years ago. Um, and yeah, I've been, Working with Zwift for the past probably year and a half, um, I built the um, that build me up flexible training plan for them, which has been really successful for both of them and for me. I've gotten a lot of good feedback with that. Um, and then I'm a level one USS cycling coach, level two training peaks coach, precision nutrition certified, power based nutrition certified, things like that. Um, so I'm trying to get all the certifications I need first. And now I feel like I'm in a really good position where I have a lot of certifications that few other coaches do. I'm hoping to use that to market myself to more individuals. Now, it's interesting. Um, one thing we want to do with this show is really talk about training kind of from the start all the way through to kind of advanced material and, you know, just put it all on the table. Uh, you know, one thing is 
uh, with our previous guest and the same for you is you have that really advanced knowledge yet you're working with pretty beginner clientele. Is it overkill or, you know, do your clients appreciate that? How far down the, the theory pipeline are you essentially getting with them? So I really leave it up to the athlete. The athlete kind of tells me within the first three to six months, basically, if kind of what they're struggling with, how they're feeling, you know, what things they're being weak with, what things they feel strong with. Um, and I'll kind of critique my post activity comments in my emails and stuff that way. Um, but it's a good thing to have because it's almost you have a PhD in something and you're starting somebody off at the elementary school level, hopefully building them and growing them from there versus mm -hmm. if I didn't have that advanced knowledge, by the time they got to, you know, middle school, I would be out of luck because I didn't know how to progress that athlete. Nice. And, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And have you had the chance to take someone from elementary school to PhD? Not the PhD level yet, no. Um, very close, but um, they're kind of at like their, their senior year in college, basically, before they go you. on to their PhD program. So PhD, I would, I would consider pro. Yeah. So I have a couple Cat 1s now that are looking to hopefully go pro eventually. Dang. Um, Continental Where, first, things like that. Where do those guys start? Uh, they started as, as Cat 4s, Cat 5s. Wow, and you've gotten them all the way to Cat 1, and they're thinking about joining Continental teams? Continental teams, yeah. That's but, huge. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, is, was it, it was, of course, it was partly my coaching, but it was also genetic. It was also how, yeah. how driven was the athlete, you know, how, how conservative, how, how, how consistent they were, you know, all those factors come into play. Oh yeah. I mean, it's always, yeah. there's always the, you know, to get to that level, you're going to have to have that baseline physiology. You have to have that. For sure. So, um, so new, new, new athletes coming into GC coaching in 2019, talk me through the process of onboarding a client and, um, you know, what you're looking for in those first, first few days, first few weeks, first few months, even, um, how do you, how do you get started with an athlete? So if they find me through the website, which is typically where they'll find me from, um, I'll get an email typically saying that they're interested in coaching. Um, the first kind of thing I like to do is set up this kind of meeting where I'll talk to them through Zoom face-to-face uh, -face and then kind of figure out where they are in their training, you know, why they want to coach, where they want to get to, things like that, um, as well as kind of do some screen shares to show them how I use training peaks, you know, how just to kind of make their life easier when it comes to the whole software background, because mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, as this sport gets more advanced, software becomes more crucial. And for those like 40 to 55 age demographic, they're a little bit behind the times in terms of, you know, technology. Mm -hmm. So those guys tend to struggle a lot with like getting stuff rolling off the ground. Um, whereas like the 20 to 30 year olds are, tend to be great with training peaks. No so it really depends on age group too. Okay. Okay. Um, so maybe a little bit of like tech support that first day too, if needed. Um, after that, I'll kind of leave them. I'll, there's no pressure. I'll leave them. You know, if you're interested, reach out to me again. You know, here is the new athlete intake form. Here are the different um, service offerings we have. And then if I don't hear back from them, usually two, three days, I'll send them just a follow-up email out to them, just asking them, you know, how they're doing, things like that. Um, once they do sign on, then I'll, like I said, I'll have them fill out that athlete intake form, which is just a little bit more in-depth of that conversation we had through Zoom. Mm -hmm. And then I'll create their first training block. 
Um, typically that's a four week process. And that obviously depends on what phase of training they're in versus base, build, peak, things like that. For uh, two questions. First, how, what percentage of the athletes coming to you uh, have a decent amount of past data um, recorded off of a Garmin or, or what have you? Yeah, just about everyone these days, eh? Or? Just about everyone these days. Yeah, I'd say like five years ago, it was probably 50 to 60%. That's right. probably 90% plus at this point now, I would say. And what percentage of people do you think are actually using that data um, without a coach? Using the data correctly or just using data for... I guess just kind of like engaging with it, checking it out, like have... I think some... everybody's, yeah, everybody's engaging with it. Everybody's checking it out, but nobody knows really how to use it or how to apply it. Right, right, you know? right. I mean, I said nobody, but very few people know how to actually apply it. You know, if you're, if you're training with power and still tracking your races or your rides off of miles per hour in distance, then you're doing it wrong. You know, true that kind of thing. Um, and that athlete intake form, what kind of questions are on there? Uh, that's actually on my website. So it's basically historical questions, uh, injury history things like that. And then it progresses to more of like, you know, what are your training availability like Monday through Friday? Do you work? Do you have kids kind of family, social histories, and then um, kind of what do you want to get out of coaching? You know, how, how can GC coaching help you get from point A to point B? What kind of goals are you seeing from the athletes that are coming to GC coaching? <sighs> That's a tough one because it really depends on where they are um obviously everybody wants to get faster everybody wants to become more fit you know wants to not get dropped at the group ride things like that and then i'll have you know cat ones cat twos that want to win you know green mountain stage race or things like that um so the goals are definitely dependent on where the athlete is in their training and what their kind of fitness is but i mean the biggest one is just just general improvement you know all right, Shane, coming out of left field here. So I have this crazy idea to, to, to do these interviews and we're going to write a training book, right? Yeah. So first question, let's see if we can guide the conversation a bit. Like, how do you think I should write a training book? <laughs> how do you think you should write a training book? Yeah, like, how, like what's, the, what's the structure? What's your, if, we're gonna, if we're gonna give someone a book, what's chapter one? What's your audience? Hmm. So I think one thing we want to do with the, with the training book is have it be applicable to a wide array of endurance sports. So it's actually going to be a training book that isn't hundred percent specific to just cycling, um, or swimming or triathlon or what have you or running. Um, so we want to, we want to talk about training in a way that if you're a runner, um, you can understand if the person is coming from cycling. Okay. Yeah. So the, I guess the the base of the pyramid I like to look at with everybody is how how consistently they can train and what kind of habits they can create. And a lot of people I work with are, like I said, time crunched. So the first thing they need to do is make time. Mm. But more than just make time, they need to make time on a consistent basis. Okay. So that's the first chapter, I think, is just how do you, how do you make time? You know, that's, that's the most important thing I think with anybody. Um, that, that resonates. I, uh, you know, it's 2019. I have, uh, I have my goal in Beretta that I want to do a mountain bike marathon race in uh, October. And, uh, 
not gonna lie it's uh, it's a bit daunting and i'm gonna have to do some training this year and the yeah. first thing i did when i came back uh came back from the holidays was okay i'm gonna i'm gonna start working out in the mornings because mm -hmm. for me that's when i'm gonna be able to slot it in and get that consistency it's the only reliable time i know that something in my calendar is not going to blow it up right and that's i think true with most people you know most people do have structured time in the morning um the problem with the morning is you know you have to then throw into which you probably got you in the book too nutrition you know how to how do you then manage sleep how do you manage other stuff you know so you kind of change one recipe one part of the recipe you have to change a lot of other things in the recipe but i think finding time is probably the biggest thing people struggle with but like i said finding time and finding time on a consistent basis mm. so i think that's where the book if you if this is a general training plan that should be where everybody should start is with just finding time right you know um what uh what tricks have you found helpful here like you said i kind of work out in the morning um or work out really late at night i tend to be more of kind of uh get up early and kind of work on more like brain type stuff so business or writing or reading things like that and then i feel better physically later in the day so I tend to wake up early in the morning, work on my business stuff where my brain is fresh mm. and then go about my business during the day and then work out late at night where I can kind of like use that training to kind of unwind a little bit and do some like active meditation in a way, you know? Yeah, I do know because I think for me, I'm actually, that's the preferred way of doing it. It's how I've done it my whole life. And so yeah, we're going to see how this morning shift turns out. <laughs> That's what I mean. It depends. The other thing you do is like the, the, so the first step is making time. The second step I think is creating habits. Mm. And when you create habits, your habits have to be sustainable and they have to be, you know, flexible and ideally they have to be indefinite. So if you're trying to create a habit that's only sustainable for two weeks because you're exhausted at four in the morning from working out and getting up and going to bed at 11 o'clock at night, you have to change something because it's not going to work. So making time, creating habits, that should be chapter one. I think in chapter two is those two things. How, uh, how often do you work with athletes and there's actually a real transition period where um, like 50% of the battle is just showing up and getting on the bike consistently? 100%. Yeah. Even the most elite athlete is always going to have days where they don't want to get on the bike or they don't want to train. They don't want to do it just because they're tired. Right. Or, you know, they had a death in the family or you know, they had um, something else just came up socially. Because obviously, like, I think endurance sport, you have to have, obviously, fitness. But I think it's more important to have mental capacity and mental strength. Because everybody's going to get to that point in a race or ride where they're going to want to stop if it's hard enough. So the people that do the best are the ones that can dig deeper, the ones that can power through more than anybody else could. Hmm. Um, so some of my workouts are actually designed to push the athletes to that point where they feel like they want to stop. And then on Zwift or whatever, I'll have a message pop up that motivate them. I know this hurts, but keep going, get stronger, things like that. Because hmm. my coaching style is ideally not just improving bike, improving the average speed or whatever. I want to make them just better athletes as well as me better mental capacity, things like that. So I think that's another thing where some coaches are missing that aspect is the mental, the mental aspect I think is really overlooked, um, which is my next, my next study is going to be on that sports psychology and the kind of mental capacity training, things like that.
Oh, that's interesting. What's that about? I don't know yet. I got to find some research and do some books. Because <laughs> cool. I think that's, I have the training piece. I have the nutrition piece. Now I need to get that mental piece. Okay, okay. So <clears throat> in the last call I had, uh, episode one, uh, Guy told me about how he coached in Orienteer. Have you ever seen that sport? No. Orienteer, uh, actually, there's quite a bit of YouTube videos on it. Um, New York Times did one, and it's, it's, it's a running race through the woods, and they give you a compass and a map, and it's a A to B destination race. Hmm. And, yeah, you have to run at a pretty high pace, but at the same time be navigating the woods, checking a map, checking a compass. So it's exactly that. It's a lot of mental fortitude at the same time as, as, as going through the race. Sure. And he was telling me about how they were training uh, and, and he was running to the top of a hill and then stopping and using his iPhone and doing some sort of mental processing test to see, you know, if he was able to cognitively perform. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Which was super fascinating because to me, I'm thinking, you know, when I was doing intervals on the bike, I was getting to the top of those hills and to the end of those end of those intervals, and and I wasn't thinking at all, which is not at all how a bike race plays out. Right, exactly. Yeah. You get to the top of the hill in a bike race, and you have to make the decision about whether or not you're going to that breakaway or not. Yep, yep. So I think the the mental skills I think happen a little bit too late in the development of an athlete, especially mm -hmm. for cycling, um, or just really endurance sports generally. Um, so I, I would like to see the mental development happen earlier, if, if possible. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I think, like you said, it's a huge, it's once you get to that, you know, advanced level, it's a huge aspect of getting to the next step is having that mental capacity to a train harder, train longer, dig deeper, but then B to not let that wheel go in front of you, hang onto that wheel as long as you can. Mm. You know? Yeah. And in, and in cycling, I think find the mental side is pretty highly correlated and tied to the, the, the skill based side as well. Sure. You know, in terms of performing yeah. in a road race. Sure. Yeah. I think the most impressive sport to me is the um, biathlon, which is that cross country <laughs> skiing with the target shooting. Yeah. Those, those have always been the most amazing athletes to me because they possess everything that a good athlete should have. I mean, they're really fit, they're really strong, but they also have great hand-eye coordination. They have the ability to control their breathing. As you see, they'll get to the point and they'll be breathing <laughs> uncontrollably. They'll take one breath and then they'll hold it. They'll shoot and they'll get a bullseye every time. Then they'll breathe, they'll hold it, they'll shoot it. So that's just an amazing thing. They have such control over every aspect of their body. It's really cool. Mental training. So are you going to make a module in GC coaching that uh, is going to help people progress through? That's the goal eventually. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I think that the, the grand scheme of GC coaching, I want it to be, you know, a, a very just holistic approach to not just coaching cyclists, but hopefully coaching just athletes, you know, um, as well as applying these same concepts to everyday life. You know, mm -hmm. if you get up, earlier in the morning you're going to have more time to do whatever you want to do so sleeping in late or going to bed late you know you make one different decision in your diet that's going to make you feel better throughout the course of the day and then there's two decisions and three decisions you just build up from there you know so i think we said chapter one was about uh, i think chapter one is always about making time making time and finding consistency yeah. yep 
I think chapter two should be about building habits. And then I said the habits are sustainable, they're flexible, and they're also indefinite. So it's not like a 30-day fix or yeah. a seven-day cleanse or anything like that. It's, it's a true lifestyle change. Mm. You know, I think that's another thing people miss too is they, they do something for a certain set period of time. But then as soon as that time elapses, they revert right back to where they were before. So they may lose, they may lose 10 pounds in 30 days doing a 30-day fix but then they gain 15 pounds a month later. How so, many, how many athletes do you have coming to you, um, you know, really motivated by weight loss and how do you approach that versus cycling performance? So weight loss and cycling performance go hand in hand, which is mm -hmm. kind of fortunate. Um, I have very few cyclists that come to me for weight loss. Mm -hmm. Um, most of them come to me for sports performance, right? Um, but I will eventually broach that subject of weight loss, especially if they want to get involved with more of the longer hillier type climbing, mm. um, where obviously watch per kilo reign supreme. Um, and then vice versa, if they're more concerned with, you know, time trialing or crit racing or things like that, then I'm more concerned about their watt per drag coefficient. So I don't mind my crit racers in time and my TT guys being a little bit heavier if they can produce more power and then maintain that same aerodynamic position. Do you ever have trouble? Have you ever had trouble with an athlete whose um, primary motivation was weight loss and it's out of line with, you know, the performance um, focus that GC coaching has or. For sure. Yeah. Yep. I think definitely, I mean, there is a, a definite issue with kind of body dysmorphia in cycling, especially at the higher levels. Um, so I have had a couple of athletes that have gotten to that kind of unhealthy point mm. where I've had to kind of say, you know, like, I think you're going a little bit too far into that deep end. Why don't you kind of rein it in a little bit? And I've actually had to kind of bring on um, sports psychologists and actual dietitians, nutritionists to actually help me with the athlete. Because I think as coaches too, we need to be aware of what our scope of practice is. And I think once an athlete begins to exhibit body dysmorphia and kind of eat true eating disabilities, then I think we're kind of out of our scope of practice a little bit. Hmm. We should be we should bringing other, ex, other experts, other professionals into the whole realm. What chapter do you think nutrition is going to be? Um, that should, I think nutrition should be before actual like training. Really? For sure. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think sleep should be early. Nutrition should be second and then training should be third. Well, talk about sleep. What would you have to say about sleep? Nobody gets enough. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody gets enough. And I think we need to get like, you know, some kind of cell phone box to put your phone in after 7 p.m. and just leave it there. Just no screen times. Just get off yeah. your phone earlier, yeah. you know. Um, because I think, you know, everybody has their phone right next to their beds now. So but the first thing they do before they go to bed is look at their social feeds or thumb through their feeds or whatever. And then the second thing is, and the first thing in the morning is they do the same thing. Mm. So that blue screen or whatever you want to call it, it's really not healthy, I think, for recovery. Um, whereas like training, training is important because training is what, um, you know, creates that overload, creates that, that physiological response. Yeah. But recovery, nutrition, sleep, that's what actually allows that response to actually become fruitful. So if all you're doing is training and not sleeping, not eating well, you're not going to get to that next level.
Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, yeah, that idea of training does the overload, but you really recover, um, and, and, and reap the benefits when you recover. Um, you know, even with the real quantitative methods of training, you know, training load, CTL, all this stuff, um, you know, there's recommended ramp rates for that type of stuff. Like how right. fast should you be progressing? And really the limiter on that isn't, you know, because training load is measuring how much training you're doing. Um, but really the limit on how fast you can move up over time is going to be on how well you're recovering. Right. And my personal experience with that was when I was trying to go pro, I took a two month training camp in uh, uh, Southern California and all of a sudden, all I was doing was training, but then also resting and resting really seriously, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, you can, you can ramp up a lot faster when you're not doing anything else in your day except being yeah. horizontal and stretching and... 100%. Yeah. Yep. Which is why I think that should be a kind of a more important benchmark first instead of training. Because everybody wants to, everybody kind of wants the, they want their cake before they eat their vegetables. You know what I mean? So like sleep nutrition oh it's so boring i don't care whatever mm. but i think that's the most important stuff that's 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 where the, the true athletes excel is they have that you know that, that fourth discipline in triathlon is is what you eat so yeah. swimming biking running eating there's, there's actually four disciplines in triathlon i think yeah you know, that's that's where everybody gets it wrong is nutrition it's you so know, you, go ahead because you can get to the point where you go 112 miles on a bike, swim, you know, miles, and then you get to the run and you're empty, you're cramping, mm. you're puking because you have so much gel, you know, that's, that's where everybody goes is right where the run goes. Yeah. That's because I, I think they're, they're, they're eating well. So for nutrition, I mean, there's the off the bike nutrition, just generally being an athlete and, and eating well. Um, yep. And then, and then also the, the in, in race nutrition. Yeah. Uh, had the, had the chance to coach a, uh, triathlete one time, uh, she did an Ironman and yeah, she, she went on her own for the, the nutrition part, but the amount of kind of thought and strategy that they have to put into the nutrition strategy for an Ironman is, is out of control. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. And they also have to make sure that nutrition can be stored in a very small you know, environment. Mm. They, I, I've also had issues where, you know, an athlete will, well, an athlete, a race will change their sponsor. So they'll go from Gatorade to noon or to whatever. And the athlete's been training with Gatorade and they go to noon and then they just puke because their body isn't used to it. No. That's, that's another factor too, where you have to, but, but this is getting really advanced, but yeah. you have to look at the race and make sure that you're eating sponsored correct food for the athlete that's doing that race. No, so, so, so it's pretty, it's pretty interesting as we talk, just, you know, what would these chapters be? Um, you know, sounds like the, the GC coaching, um, book so far, uh, you know, before we ever get to training, it's a lot of chapters of like, this is how to be an athlete, right? Yeah, this is, exactly. This is, yeah. This is much more, which, which makes total sense, right? Cause, um, where you're, when you're pulling from the 40 to 55 age demographic, um, chances are they just came off a decade. Maybe they were an athlete earlier in their life, but if they were, they've probably forgotten how to be one by now. <laughs> right. Have kids put on 25, 30 pounds, all that stuff, made some bad habits. Who knows for sure. Yeah. yeah Cause I'd much rather <clears throat> have a good athlete than a great cyclist. You know, that's always been one of my mottos. 
I can make a great at, I can make a good athlete an exceptional cyclist mm. and I can nearly make a great cyclist, a great cyclist, you know? So if a great cyclist comes into me as a great cyclist, but they can't touch their toes or they can't deadlift more than 40 pounds or whatever it might be, you know, just, just pulling examples out of the year. Yeah. I have so much ground work to do with them that mm. their, their base of that pyramid is really crumbling and their peak of the pyramid looks perfect, looks nice and flat, nice and pristine, mm. but the base of that pyramid is not where it should be. Mm. So I have to do a lot of work re reinforcing the base of the pyramid and then before I can make their peak higher or make their peak prettier or whatever it might be. Right. It would be one of these guys who um, is at a pretty high level of the sport, but you know, their friends might look at them and kind of say, how? <laughs> You're right. They, look, they, they have like really rounded shoulders. You know, they're always getting injured. They're eating McDonald's every day, whatever it might be, you know, and they're just so freaking gifted. Right. <laughs> so those those are the athletes that scare me the most and i really don't like i like to work with them but i like to work with them only if they're open to change mm. most of the times those athletes are so gifted and they've gone so far that they're not really open to change so i might try to explain to them hey this is what i think you should do and if, yeah this that's not going to make me faster well it might not make you faster in the short term but yeah. it's definitely going to make you faster in the long term yeah you know? well, it's one thing. Um, one thing I find with, um, you know, especially I, I almost feel like it's as much a marketing thing in the industry and the sports these days, like high intensity training, like the time crunched, yeah. um, you know, it's like, well, okay. So if you only have six hours a week, then, you know, there's no getting around that and you're right. going to make the most improvements by eventually getting to high intensity training. But, um, it's almost like, um, it's almost like low carb diets that in the first week, um, you know, carbohydrate holds water. And so when you stop eating them, you lose a lot of water weight really quick. Right. Right? And it's kind yeah. of like high intensity training. It's like, you can make some gains really quickly, but have you really worked on that base of the pyramid? And just cause you're progressing quickly off the start, how high are you really going to get to? You're exactly. And that's kind of where I said, I mean, if you're, if you're basing weight loss off of what your mass is, then you're doing it wrong. You should be investing in some kind of body metric scale to actually give you water weight, body fat percentage, muscle mass, things like that. Just like if, you, if you're training with a power meter and you're basing training off of miles and speed, then you're doing it incorrectly. So that's where I think, again, the education piece has to be there first and foremost before the athlete is concerned about performance metrics, whether it comes to nutrition, whether it comes to the weight load, whatever it might be, you know? Yeah. So... No one is getting enough sleep, says Shane to Dennis as he takes a sip of his coffee. <laughs> exactly. And you <laughs> have four hours of phone calls booked. You worked out at six this morning. What time are you going to go to bed tonight? Uh, you know what? That's the best part is uh, I can already feel it. Last night, I was actually tired. I actually wanted to go to bed because I got up at six and I worked out. And, and energy was good over the course of the day, too. So... Good. So I think I'm already like seeing the light here. I was like, this, this, could, this could be a good change for me. I think, uh, I think I'm going to stick with it for a while. Good. So I'm going to keep, keep it going, but give it's me three days. Uh, we're on day two. So wow, day two. <laughs> that's it. <All> right. man. <laughs> we're doing it. <laughs> you're, you're there, man. You're there. That's it. <laughs> you know, the, the first, the bet, the thing is, uh, the thing is we started, right? Like, yeah. 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 That, that's that's always the the first step's always the hardest one to take so yeah 
hundred percent. But here's a, here's something that uh, not even for the audience, but just for me. So, all right, no one's getting enough sleep. Uh, What are, what are Shane Gaffney's tips for getting better and more sleep? I think the first thing, like I said, I read it was put your phone Mm -hmm. away, you know, at least an hour to two hours before you go to sleep, which is more, I think of a habit break than anything else. Cause it's not hard to do. The problem is people are so afraid they're going to miss a notification or whatever. I mean, those things are developed so well. They're so addicting. So that's why they work, you know? So I think the first thing is that getting away of those things. Um, the second thing is obviously, you know, making sure that you're in a dimly lit room, things like that, making sure that your sleep environment is slightly cool, obviously dark, you know, no lights or anything like that in there. And then the most important thing is what you're doing now, you're going to bed at the same time and you're waking up at the same time, Monday through Sunday. Because if you go to bed and wake up early three days a week, but then you're going to bed at 12 p.m. and waking up at 4 a.m., that's not going to be able to do it. So that's the whole thing. You have to build habits that are sustainable and definite and flexible, you know. It's amazing how much routine is important to human beings. 100% structure. Yep. So Shane, you're both a coach and an athlete. Um, tough question. And we'll start with the topic of sleep. What uh, do you preach that you're not actually practicing? With sleep? Yeah. Uh, putting my phone away before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, you got to hit the social, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Working on my business between when my kids are, when my, between the hours when my kids are awake. So five mm. to five to 7am and then seven to 9pm. You know, those are my kind of perfect hours where I can do it. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Um, So we're making time. We are um, building habits. Um, Mm -hmm. I think mental side of it was, was, was the third. Yeah. I don't know if you want to throw like the mental aspect in with um, the, yeah, I think, I honestly think mental should be its own chapter. Mm. Because I think it's so huge. Mental should be chapter three. And then like, it's like nutrition, probably chapter four. And when you say mental though, when you say mental, um, like, is it, is it off the bike or is it on the bike or? I think it's a combo of the two for sure. You know, let's talk about off the bike mentality. What, what, what do people have to learn? Cause I think on the bike is somewhat easy. It's like, you gotta be tough. You gotta be thinking clearly all this stuff, but Mm -hmm. off the bike, what do you, what do you, what do you mean by that? Off the bike is really like the, how to keep your motivation burning you know, mm-hmm. so that you keep on going. Cause I think like you're, you're in day two, you're feeling really great. You're feeling really motivated, feeling peppy, but eventually something's going to happen where it's going to throw a spanner in the works and you're going to have to find that mental energy to get on the bike after a long day or get up early, whatever it might be. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest issue off the bike is just finding the motivation to do something, you know, this is really interesting. I mean, uh, uh, doing this series, getting a lot of value, hopefully for the audience. But uh, yeah, I think I think equal amount of value potentially for me. I think um, exactly what you just said there is like there's always going to be something that's going to throw you off, right? And it's a question of how do you respond to that. Yeah. Um, and as soon as you said that, um, it's kind of it kind of just it all starts with what's the motivation, right? Why are you doing it? Yep. As I, as soon as you said it, I thought back to university and in university, I was, well, I was trying to go pro. Right. And like, I was really committed. I got my workouts in all the time, no matter what Mm -hmm. was happening. 
and I don't think that would be the case anymore, right? Like, I don't think it could be. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 true. Like my motivations will never be uh, for cycling will never be what they were, but uh, but I think I think it's probably pretty important for me to really really sit down and consider. It's like okay, you're training, but like but like why and 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 then in those tough moments, it's that's going to be what's going to make you do it or not. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was the same way. Like when I when I became a father, I knew that you know my my way of life before was going to be completely different to my way of life after. Mm. So you know my training, I might train five to on a good week, ten hours a week this time of year. I mean, and which is fine because oh, that's great. I don't really care too much about my. I care about my fitness, but I care more about you know raising my children and you know things like that. that yeah. That's more important to me now. So I think you were. Your goals and your motivations have to align with your phase of life as well as what your what's what's actually realistic for you to do. You know, if somebody came to me like yourself, you said, Hey, I want to go pro, even though I'm starting a business and I'm talking to people four four hours a day, blah, 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 blah. I'd say, You're crazy. You know, find find another coach and probably, you know, maybe adjust your life expectations a little bit, you know, because it's it's hard to do. Yeah. Oh man. Shane, will you be my life coach? Sure. There we go, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I probably do more life coaching than I do cycling coaching some days. So well, you know. I was I was gonna mention that, right? Because that's just it, is you've you've laid out the first few chapters of this book and we haven't really even gotten to turning the pedals, right? And it's yeah. everything to do with how do you set up your life to even be successful at turning the pedals. Right, right. It's the thing that's where why I think most people fail too, because they don't set up, they set themselves up as training and losing weight and getting faster and blah, 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 blah. They do that first and foremost. They don't focus on what actually it takes to get to that point. So they, they skim over chapter one through six and they just read chapter seven because that's where all the, the, the juicy stuff comes in is chapter seven, where it might be, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like you're yeah. trying to learn algebra, but you can't add and subtract yet. Well, one thing with, um, you know, talk about the business for a second. One thing with peer-to-peer coaching is, you know, you're not all by yourself inside of an analytics dashboard. You have the ability to have conversations with other people and all this subject matter, like there's no numbers pinned to it. There's not a beats per minute. Um, right. It's all, it's all discussion and well, that's just it. It's like content alone isn't quite enough. Like some of this stuff is kind of hard and it, 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 in, in itself requires mm-hmm. coaching. Mm-hmm. It, requires, sure. it requires people to, to help you suss out where you're going wrong, what you should change, what adjustments you should make um, to yeah. set yourself up to be successful. And yep. it, would be, it would be very exciting if those types of conversations are happening on the platform um, and we're bringing that dimension um, in as well. Right. And that's what makes a successful coach and great athletes is having that, well, having the ability to have these conversations, A, and then B, having the opportunity to educate these people from the ground level up, you know, because people always come to me, they want to have a training plan, but you know, why do you want to have a training plan? Like, what's your goal? Yeah. Who are you? What are you doing? How's your life going? Stuff like that. Yeah. Because if I give you an hour a day to ride, but you only have a half an hour to ride, then it's not going to be successful, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you get a, you get a 23 year old uh, cyclist, right. Trying to go pro. 
they don't have much of a life. They're potentially sacrificing quite a bit of their life in their pursuit to, to try to do what they're doing. Yeah. So it's, it's really not as much of a concern for them. Whereas, you know, the 40 to 55 demographic, there's no getting around uh, the fact that they have a life. And I mean, to a certain extent, I feel like doing sport really has to work inside that and really contribute to it. It's got to be a really holistic system. For sure. That's really what I'm striving for is that holistic approach to coaching. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, my niche is cycling triathlon coaching, but I want to be the best cycling triathlon coach out there. So I think this is where coaching should be is this whole holistic, you know, uh, um, mental skills, nutrition, sleep skills, all that stuff should be ideally thrown into the mix here, you know, mm-hmm. so as how well you, as peer-to-peer stuff. Yeah. How do you, um, how do you keep tabs on how athletes are progressing with all this stuff that's kind of in addition to the training, which the training can get measured quite well, right? But all this other stuff, um, not so much. You know, when I had a coaching business, uh, um, one thing I struggled with with a couple of my clients was the fact that they wouldn't tell me things, right? And they, yep wouldn't tell me uh, that they might be struggling in other areas of their life, that training was causing a stress, you know, what's your experience with that and how do you deal with it? So um, things like training peaks, that's one thing they do really well is you can look at the calendar and if you have the, the whole color coding aspects of it on, mm. you can see greens, oranges, and reds. So if I see a big string of red, I'll know, Hey, what happened here? So that's a kind of a big thing to perk me for that. Um, they also now have, you know, the kind of a, a face system. So like happy, sad, somewhat sappy, somewhat sad, whatever. So you can kind of look at the faces too over time. Um, as well as just, you know, talking to people, even it's through email, you know, mm-hmm. how did these things go? What's happening? So getting the whole subjective feedback. And I think getting, getting to, you know, become, a good coach is ideally kind of um, being able to communicate with an individual on their level. So breaking down a little bit of that coach athlete barrier, mm. um, not so much becoming a friend per se, but ensuring that you have a good enough level of communication where they'll tell you things that they might not tell you, you know, the first two or three months she might work with somebody. Oh yeah. Cause um, I mean, you, you just mentioned, you know, a string of red workouts, right. And things that weren't completed, but you know, the problem that I had was that they were all green, you know, they were doing their workouts, but you know, they were working overnight shifts and they were doing all these other things that if I had known that I never, ever would have scheduled um, that amount of work. Right. Right. So, so that's more so your your relationship with the athlete wasn't as good as it should have been. Yeah. Which is really what it comes down to, you know. That's just it. Because if, if, if somebody isn't comfortable telling you something, then that's, you know, partly on them, but it's also partly on you too, where you mm-hmm. should have spent more time developing that relationship from the beginning, you know. Well, it's a good thing I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that happens to everybody doesn't this happen to this is this is uh this is why i gotta talk to guys like you you'll teach me so that uh, if i ever have to do it again i can do it a whole lot better okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's fun um all right so we have consistency uh, yeah 
habits, mental, nutrition, sleep, sleep. Yeah. Have we made it to the training section yet? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think if you can kind of get all those other factors in line, I think the training is going to go a lot smoother and the more important the training is going to be a lot more effective. Right. Right. You know, before we even get into like, what's going to be getting taught, um, you know, we had that, 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 that idea of taking someone from elementary through to, to graduate school and a PhD, right? Yeah. How much with the co- athletes that you work with, are you teaching them? How much are they, they really learning and engaging? And is that something you're pushing? Um, are some athletes more prone than others? Um, you know, what have you kind of seen along that, that dimension? So that's really where this, I think, relationship came from, was from that, you know, aspect, because I wanted a group learning, I wanted hive mind, and I feel like I wasn't getting that, Mm. Um, as opposed to when I worked with the cycling classes, I would have the opportunity to speak to one-on-one or a group of people all at the same time. Um, They had that accountability to me and to each other, so they'd always show up week by week. So I think that's a great piece where, again, the peer-to-peer thing, I think that's where the peer-to-peer thing will really fit in mm-hmm. is getting that aspect of it. So accountability, consistency, and then group learning and peer-to-peer learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've tried to do blog posts. I've tried to do videos. I've tried to just kind of create content, but the created content is only as good as somebody that wants to click on a link and actually, you know, take time to listen to it or read it or whatever, you know? Mm. Um, so it's tough. And it, right now you're obviously, you're working with thousands upon thousands of other people that want that person's attention on their feeds. It's even harder to get somebody to learn something mm. at least from that market. Yeah. Well, what about your one-on-one clients? Like, uh, you know, as they start working with you and move through even over multiple years, um, you know, how, how, how does their learning progress and, and, and how do you approach, you know, giving them enough, but not too much? So I'll kind of follow the same kind of basic skeleton structure that we went over, you know, making time, building habits, things like that. Um, and then over time, I'll eventually learn where their struggles may be. Um, most of the education is either through phone calls, through emails, or me through real writing a blog post about whatever topic might be and then giving it to them. Um, but I think that's, that there's, there's way more effective ways to do it, you know, which is where I think the peer-to-peer stuff comes in, hmm. getting everybody good. Because even if I might, I might tell the athlete it in one way, but coming from a peer versus coming from a coach and maybe absorbed a little bit differently. Hmm. You know, it's almost like your, your parents telling you something versus your friends telling you something, hmm. even though it's the same, the same information, the same material, it's usually absorbed a little bit differently. Okay, guys, we're about to wrap things up. And like I said, at the start of the episode, we never really got into any discussion about structured training in this interview. Now, truth be told, We did discuss it a little bit, and I'm going to break those parts out into other videos and different clips. But to end the episode, we'll let Shane tell you what he thinks the training book should be all about and what athletes need to be focusing on in order to truly be successful. I think the most important thing was we 
training is a very small aspect of what this book should be, I think. Hmm. Um, I think if you want to write something that's different and something that's going to go against the grain a little bit, it should be less about training and more about life skills, habit building, things like that. Just becoming a better athlete first and a better well-rounded person. Those, those are the people that tend to do the best in their sport. They have structure, they have consistency, they have mental skills, they have nutrition, sleep, they have all those things locked up. And they're also very fit because of that. Hmm. You know? Yeah, I can get behind that. I like that idea. So I think if you, if, you write, if you just write another training book, then whatever. I don't really care. Just another training book. It's right. Just somebody else's opinion. Now tell me why. Tell me why your training book is different and like what's going to be your like selling aspect. Mm. Um, just like GC coachings, hopefully the, the way I differentiate myself is I take a holistic approach to coaching. I don't just give athletes training plans and give them, you know, workouts to do. I hopefully interact with them on a deeper level, give them true coaching as opposed to just cycling training. All right, guys, that's the end of this episode. I'm Dennis Cutro, the co-founder and CEO of Beretta Training, and we'll link to GC Coaching and more information about Shane in the description and show notes below. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and leave us a comment letting us know what you found most interesting and what you'd like to learn more about in the future. All right, guys, until next time.